Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the studio with Mike. Um, you're probably getting a little sick of just hearing our voices. Thankfully, Mike did record with Greg Lyon for our last episode, which I got a lot of compliments on um, from people. And then I've had to say, uh, uh, yeah, I wasn't on that one. I had a couple people whose like wives or family members or friends had texted and said, hey, good episode, you'll like this. So I was down at a pastor's conference and people mentioned it. I'm like, uh, yeah, that was Mike and Greg. They always do the good ones without me. Um, hopefully we'll get Peter and Ben back on here someday, huh? Yeah, they keep doing this so. job thing. Yeah, they seem pretty committed to that. Yeah, um, but we uh, are looking forward to. We've got a couple guests lined up coming up, and that should be exciting. And uh, and we'll get those two back eventually. They keep saying it'll happen, um, so we'll just have to make it work. But we are here in the studio at the college, and uh, we are going to be talking today about a couple parables from Matthew twenty-five. Um, I've been kind of working through some stuff in preparation for a presentation on Christian freedom and uh, had talked a little bit about it when I was presenting in Florida and then happened to, had a pastor who just happened to be planning on preaching in one of these parables too and I thought just did a fantastic job. When I got back up, I said to Mike, man, we should really uh, record something on these parables. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. Um, just by way of reminder, we are a part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. Um, you can check out a number of those podcasts, finds the ones that resonate the most, and uh, give them a listen. There's a, I mean, just a wealth, I don't know how many hours of episodes coming out a week now. Just make sure you always come back to us, right, to let the bird fly. Uh, here we still stand. There, The 1517 conference is coming up soon, too, in the middle of October. You can find out more information about that as well if you go to 1517.org or you Google here, we still stand. Um, there's very few tickets left, but if you'd like to go... Uh, San Diego is hard to beat. The hotel is a great hotel. Good group of people. I will be presenting for a breakout session, and uh, Mike and I will be live recording and generally uh, hanging out and talking to people. So if you're out there, come up and uh, and say hello. Um, otherwise, we won't drag things out too much. We will make our way to our free-for-all, unless, Mike, you got anything to throw in. Uh, no, but I'm looking forward to our free-for-all. Well, so well good. How about you give us the disclaimer then? This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. We're back for our free-for-all. This is Wade's idea. He, his question to me is, what story in the current news cycle right now, or not, I shouldn't say current news cycle, but in the last is maybe... It, it's been in there, or yeah, it's maybe a or, recurring one. Um, disturbs you the most. So you have, you know, the oceans are on fire. I think the oceans are literally boiling. Is that right, that I heard? I'm, I'm um, not, I know the, they're they, full of plastic they, and the fish They're are full of dying. plastic, but the, the latest one is that they're... Super, super, super hot. I think they're actually boiling in some place. I may be an exaggeration. The OK sign is now a been is a racist sign. Yeah, officially so, now. So I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, you have Brexit. But isn't the OK sign too? That's kind of how Europeans do the number three, right? Right. So, so this is going to be really bad for when problem. Americans travel to Europe. This is going to be a problem. And uh, the Anti-Defamation League has right. Said that's that who said so. it's now officially and racist. And then you have Brexit. You have impeachment here in America. You have uh, we don't care about the Amazon anymore being on fire. That's we've moved on by that. But I, I that don't was, know if they got put out or we just yeah, forgot about that, it. That's burning. Um, and so you have quite a few things that are very uh, discour discouraging. And so we're going to choose what which ones are the most disturbing to us. I think we'll mostly be serious economy about this. Economy is maybe going to have a downturn, yeah. supposedly. This will mostly mostly be serious, but I can't guarantee anything. So, um, Wade, what is uh, what disturbs you the most? 
Yeah, so I'm teaching for the first time the Christ and Culture course that I built for the semester. And the students, every day we meet, have to turn in something that's it's just a short thing. It's like, what was a news story or headline you saw? Why did it catch your attention? What does it maybe have to do with this class? And the class looks, uh, first we provide like Christian lenses for looking at different issues. Not in that, like, here's where you have to fall as a Christian, but here's some things a Christian will think about. Uh, and then we look at a lot of different issues and we'll, we'll, we talk about them. And uh, so it's interesting to see what the students pick out. Some like funny or, you know, like interesting ones, like, you know, some Dairy Queen, there was a rumor that it was, there was human flesh found in the meat and they did a study but and there was no human flesh found in the meat, but they did find like $200,000 stored in like a cabinet there. And so the student thought that was interesting because no one seemed to care about the $200,000, but I mean, everybody was obviously relieved there wasn't mm-hmm. people in the burgers. Um, but, uh, I will say the one that this, and I, I will admit too, Mike and I have very different personalities. I do freak out like very easy. And Mike's usually the one that like, will be like, oh, well, you know, whatever. So there's plenty of times I go to his office and I like, I'll think like, oh, this is a big deal like this. And it can be a college thing, a church thing, a news thing. And I'll kind of be like, ah, who cares? You know, and he just goes back to filling in his very detailed day planner. And, um, and so, you know, I always get more nervous than he does. But I will say what has kind of been on my radar and continues to bother me, and it came up again today because it, um, there were some news stories about people hacking these uh, Google Nest systems and, like, messing with people, turning up their heat and playing vulgar music and, like, taunting them. Now, A, you just got to unplug the thing or, you know, create a password. Never use the default settings on these devices when you get them. So part of me was a little judgy, like there was an easy way to avoid that. Um, but the stories that come up about surveillance, and I would say combined with studies that show kind of declining support for free speech in America, um, if you, uh, one of the things we do in Christ and Culture is we, we look at the Bill of Rights a lot, not because uh, God wrote them, um, but... Uh, whoa, whoa, to, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa. But to talk about how do they align with like what the scripture says about what it is to be human and human value and... Uh, what it means uh, to live together. And I, I think, uh, you know, in there, students are usually drawn to kind of the right to privacy um, ones, you know. Um, but I think those two are really connected, privacy and speech. And as part of that class, we're reading a lot of dystopia. And a lot of the dystopia we're reading, um, privacy and free speech go out the window pretty quick. And so I would say what bothers me most, and I know there's other ones, I mean, getting nuked by North Korea, maybe going to war with Iran, um, climate change and i will say climate change does concern me i i know that's not like in wisconsin Senate, missouri synod circles people tend to be pretty conservative and kind of blow off climate change but i mean it does concern me that you know my kids might live in a world where there could be serious environmental issues and i know it's just myth and whatever <laughs> but um but i would say uh privacy and free speech stuff because it is interesting to me that there was a time Remember, like, in the 90s where people were all big on conspiracies and, like, uh, government spying on you, whatever else. But then iPhones came, and then suddenly we're like, all right, spy on us mm-hmm. as long as I can play Angry Birds. Um, and uh, just kind of what's happening with, with speech and language um, would probably be the most concerning to me. I mean, I I don't want to be nuked either, but if mm-hmm. I do be nuked, do get nuked, mm-hmm. I want to, like, be able to get nuked in privacy and to say what I want to say when it's happening. I want to be able to. I don't want the speech uh, police to be angry at me when I'm right. cursing and I, at them. If I want to go react to getting nuked and how I react, I don't want people to be like surveilling me. Yeah. Be like, look at Johnston. He's crying. Right. He's running around hysterically and, you know, shielding himself with his daughters and stuff right. like that. Yeah. You know what I'd probably do if I knew the, the missile was coming? I'd probably go get like Arby's or something. Yeah. I'd, One last time. Right. I'd, you know, like. Something that you you could do that you know you're not going to pay for the next day. You know what I mean? Right. Like normally, you know, at our age, if we eat too much Arby's, tomorrow's Wait, like... you're saying you Arby's know. is bad for you? Uh, well, maybe not so much Arby's. Let's pick something else like Hardee's. Yeah. Hardee's is bad for you. Taco Bell, probably not so good for you either. Uh, you kind of told I should have gone first because... Uh, mine's free speech, right? Okay. I so mean, we're on I the think, same page here. Yeah, and I, you knew we would be on a certain level that there's... You know, I, I do believe. So that you don't care about climate change, or you think it's all fake? I just here. Here's what I think. 
that all the issues like gun control, climate, oh, that's a good one too. Climate, can, climate change and stuff like that, when I hear people speak about it, I hate both sides. Like there's logical errors. There's obvious, there's obvious, um, religiosity, uh, religiosity, passions are overtaking reason. It's about winning. Um, I mean, even when we have conversations like with friends about these things that disagree with us or even agree with us, I just kind of roll my eyes and go like, you haven't thought about that. You haven't thought about the other side. And I think so that the free speech and speaking clearly are go hand in hand, right? That words matter. You should think about your words. You should protect your words. You should protect other people's words and we should be reasonable to the each other. The words are central to the Christian theology. And, and just humanity in general, right? And so the attack on words, the spin doctors, all that kind of stuff is just all wrapped up in one. And I think that we, we would agree with that. But if I, since you chose that, I'd have to maybe, um, maybe pick uh, another one. Um, I, I think more and more, I think globalization is a threat. It's a good one. Um, but I can, you could see it being a threat from both sides. This is one of those things that's not necessarily, although it's not necessarily Can I left or right. Two real together, real quick. I saw a nice German comic today, and it was, I assume of a German guy, but maybe it's supposed to be an American guy, and he's sitting in his computer like typing away about climate change, and you know how like the new climate change narrative has been like people like to say, well, it's all China and India, mm-hmm. so it's not even us. Um, but the so the guy's like, well, if we're really concerned about, it, we need China and India, and then the guy like. It shows all the labels in his room of made in China. <laughs> it's like, like, well, of course they're polluting because right. they're making cheap stuff for right. us. But sorry, go ahead. Right. And I, I just, I, I think I'm not necessarily a, you know, the markets will fix everything person. That's just not, it just doesn't work right. that way. Well, right? you know, I fear corporations right. more than right. the government. Yeah. So whatever that globalization is <laughs> going to look like, a one world government, you know, under the, you know, the UN or whatever, or it's going to be. Uh, a global uh, series of very large corporations. Either way, I do think that we lose a little bit when we... And, and there was an interesting article in The Atlantic, I think. I don't know, maybe... Which really, I, I think both of us... is that That's when we both started to subscribe to when we got to the college, yeah, I think. Yeah. And uh, I have to say, that's c- consistently makes me think. I, yeah. Atlantic has been one of the better subscriptions yeah. I have. And, and, you know, it's listen, it's not... You know, I'm not agreeing with clearly there's a bias there and for most of the authors. But if you're never reading anything that possibly disagrees, I usually find <laughs> right. it thoughtful, though, right. at least thoughtful. And it was talking about the fall of the Roman Empire, how that was, that was actually very good for innovation and stuff like that because it became more local. And um, I so think that's when they invented scooters. Wasn't <laughs> and the idea there is Vespa. I think the Vespas came in 650 AD. That was. Well, I think it was scooters first, and, and then, then they figured out the how Vespas. to make the Vespa. But the Vespa was. And early. then they honestly they got so focused on riding their Vespas around town that the, they just kind of let the rest of the borders go. Right. It really was the fall of Rome. Right. Was the Vespa. Right. Yeah. Um, we just went through the fall of Rome and the Germanic invasions and history of Christianity. I didn't bring that up. I really should have. Uh, anyway, I will next time. It's significant. I think. <laughs> it's at least part of the deal. <laughs> it's hard to fight when you're, when you're on a, you know, there's kind of, it's not just that it's, it's hard because, you know, it's really a two handed thing. Like on right. a horse, you could grab one and still have your sword. But the other reason is, you know, the other army looks at you and go, this is hardly the, you know, right. the red dragon. But it's that, hard to be yeah. angry on like a, a, a moped either because That's true. the wind is in your hair. I mean, people like motorcycles, but I've especially even had to talk me out of buying mopeds multiple times um, because uh, I think it's just an ideal form. It's kind of like a bicycle. You got the wind in the, your hair, but you're not going 70. Yeah. And it's, you're, you're still taking in the community, the world around you. It's a more, it's a, it's a moral thing. And, and so I could see that it would weaken the army. They would not be, they would not feel as tough. And certainly the right. opponent would not feel yeah, as tough. It, it just, you feel more chill. It, let's go get a gelato. Yeah. But the best gelato is on the other side of town. Right. I don't want to walk. I mean, some people, some, some people believe that Constantine, the Mulvarian, Mulvian bridge, you know, that, Maxentius, right? You yeah. know, that it was because he saw that, you know, the the sign of the cross and in the sign you will conquer. That I mean, that's we don't know how accurate that is, yeah. but that's pretty true. But 
there's probably just kind of a, like these people in Rome are just kind of, you know, I don't, they didn't have scooters back uh, then, but they're just kind of, you know what I mean? Well, it, expa- it, it really explains why the Italians are a romantic people too, mm-hmm. because I do have to say, I think probably mopeds are the most romantic way to travel with your significant other. Like if you're in a car, you're next to each other. There's a console mm-hmm. in the middle. Mm-hmm. If you're the on a train, you're in separate seats. But like to have to have your your wife. What's Italian for wife? I don't know. Your it's probably like wave. Uh, yeah. Um, like with her arms wrapped around you, mm-hmm. going to get mm-hmm. gelato mm-hmm. or whatever they call and it. And probably the second one would be a gondola, which is you know, I mean, not not Roman, but at least Italian. Yeah. yeah. Gondola. But you're, you're not driving me. that. Oh, well, I guess a train you wouldn't be driving either. Yeah. But you got to be on a canal then. There's a chance of drowning. We should just maybe change this free for all to most romantic. <laughs> Romantic means of right, transportation. Right down, we should have a free-for-all that involves mopeds. <laughs> Somehow mopeds. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so globalization would be my answer. And I actually think I was trying to make a serious point about that, that uh, that Atlantic article, and coming from a more liberal point of view and not the state's right, local government, you know, uh, uh, mantra that technically comes from the right, um, but that state rights, so long as it's what they want. Yeah, right. The local government sh- and even more local than the state, but the county and stuff should be more important. And, and there's something to be said that, you know, can I name my local government who is in charge beside the mayor? Nope. You know, and I probably should. I should. That should concern me more than, you know, your who's mayor. In the, I know my mayor other than you know that. your alderman. No. Oh, I know my, I got very no. involved in the last alderman. I collect. My guy lost. But me and the kids, we put out flyers. I had a uh, sign. I had. I'm way. You know, Good I got guy, that. Shout out to Tim Kenny. I'm way, way down, like on the, uh, you know, the south that one strip on the south side of Milwaukee, uh-huh. and so like my, it's kind of weird. Like we're sur- like there's a ten block period, and we're surrounded by like for the U.S. representatives by other Do you ones. Even know what district you are? I think I'm one, and I think I have. Who is? She's a Democrat. They're all Democrats. She's a Democrat. I'm talking U.S. Representative, oh. um, um, Alderman Hamilton is District One. I don't know what I am. Anyway, anyway, we should. I should know more about local local stuff, and so globalization is my biggest threat. We should probably move on. Well, I have to say, I think globalization, even just from an economic standpoint, uh. I've always been against it because it. Uh, well, when I was still serving in Michigan, I had a call to Mexico at one point, and I returned it, and I said to the congregation, I said, uh, I figured. Mexico didn't need to take one more Michigan job. <laughs> so, uh, it, well, uh, and, and to, they all laughed because they were auto working yeah. families. You know? to, to, to the larger point is all of these things actually can be solved. I just don't think that giving, the, um, sometimes there is an impulse that if we give power to one central power, and, and I'm not, I think there should be a central power on some level, country, state, and other. I'm not total anarchist or whatever. But if we're going to solve, like, climate change, giving power to one group is not going to help the problem. Yeah. That would be a good free-for-all when we have Peter with us. Yeah. Would be, what do we fear more, corporations or government? Yeah. I think we got to Pe- remember that one. You know Peter's thought about Peter this. Peter will disagree with me. Because yeah. Pe- Peter loves corporations. Peter has th- thought about this. But so have I. Yeah. But Peter's really thought about this. Well, what does that mean? That Peter... We should get Peter... I think Peter's maybe a little obsessive about some of We should get Peter and our favorite stuff. physicist on for that one. I think both of them have And maybe. then I get to pick someone from my side to come on, too. Yeah. I, just, I already know who I'd pick, but I'm not going to say it in case they don't want to admit to being on my side. I just think that there is... They've maybe... You You're saying they're more thoughtful than me. No. I get I'm, it. I'm saying... Well, they are, but I'm <laughs> saying they have thought about this to the point... I'm not saying they're obsessed. They're not. But they're a little bit more invested in this than you are. And certainly more me. Because I'm like, you know what? Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is coming next week. I'm fine yeah. with whatever. Another good free-for-all would be, what's the number one thing the state could do that would get you to like join a rebel group? Or leave the country or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, I'm writing And it doesn't have to be out. like the American state. You're, you just cross something out. You didn't even write anything down. That was from last time. Oh. So I'm not confused. So corporations versus governments. And then, like, what would be the last straw to get you to, like, rebel or leave the country? Okay. I'm going to write this down during the break. We'll be back with our main topic.
we're back for our main topic, and uh, in the, in our brief uh, uh, break here, we just came up with some ideas for future. At least two that Ben will tell us we can't yeah. do. I bet. But so uh, something that involves scooters and Vespas, we're thinking most romantic means of transportation. Corporation versus government, which do you fear more? What governmental action would get you to rebel or leave your country? Um, which is the least? Or which state would you least want to live in? Um, what age of history would you least or most like to live in? What would be your last meal if you knew you were going to die? Um, and then a, n- a nuclear <laughs> missile is coming, and you have the ability to send it off course, but not into the ocean or Antarctica or Greenland, um, but to a populated area. Where would you send it? I have a good answer for that. And then um, what would be the worst drug to legalize? Yeah. So. And then I have another one. You have to give up one allegiance. So it could be like a sports allegiance, a brand allegiance. Mm-hmm. But one allegiance that actually is somewhat important to you, what would you pick? Okay. I got it. All right. Now, we're going to get serious now. You get into Matthew chapter 25. We're going to get biblical. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, we're going to be in Matthew's gospel today. Now, if I'm remembering Mark is my gospel, Luke is your gospel, uh, Peter claimed John. And yeah. so I think, I don't know if Ben picked Matthew, but he yep, got Matthew. He got Matthew. He's a big Matthew guy. So we, we are in uh, Ben's gospel. And <clears throat> excuse me, I think I have tuberculosis, Mike. Why don't people get that anymore? Do they vaccinate for that or are we just have better living conditions? I think we've eradicated that. Well, I, I know there's been like, it's still places in the world, but is that one that like yeah, hygiene helps stop or is that, I don't I think we get vaccinated. Do we? we you, do we have anybody on campus that can talk diseases? Oh, that'd be a good one. Oh, Henkel. Henkel. We should actually just come. That's what I'm saying. We should have him come in and be like, what disease should we fear? Which one should we not? What about we, we're not allowed to vaccinate for one disease. We have to pick one of them we have vaccination for. That could for. be the free fall for all. Yeah, and we can't vaccinate for it. I would probably pick chicken pox because I had it and it was yeah, me too. unpleasant, but it wasn't terrible. But uh, I want to pick measles. That sounds bad. So that'd be a good one. <clears throat> all right. We're in Matthew 25, the end of uh, Matthew's gospel. And at this point, um, Matthew is focusing on what Jesus had to say about the end times. If we're thinking about the passion in Matthew's gospel, the institution of the Lord's Supper is Matthew 26. And then we're going to have that Holy Week and the Passion and Resurrection through the end. And so Matthew 25 falls in kind of this extended section where Jesus is talking about the end times. He's either um, warning about them or telling parables about them. Or saying what will happen. And in Matthew 25, he kind of is illustrating perhaps the end times. And keep in mind too, end times doesn't only mean the last day. We are living in the end times. Um, that time that we're waiting for Christ's coming. And he is going to um, tell a few parables uh, or il- use illustrations. I don't know if we call them all parables. But first the parable of the ten virgins. And then the parable of the talents. And then for some reason... What translation you got there, Mike? NIV. Okay, great. I got uh, ESV. And the ESV has, for the sheep and the goats, it has the final judgment. So it says, parable of the ten virgins, parable of the talents, and the final judgment. What is that subheading? The sheep and the goats. Okay. So we wouldn't say that's a parable, though, right? Because it doesn't say the kingdom of God is like. He's just saying this is what it's going to be. And so what we wanted to talk about is, uh, I think, especially the parable of the talents. But I would like, if it's okay with you, Mike, if we start off with the sheep and the goats. Mm-hmm. Is that a, and in this section, I was referencing it when I was presenting it in Florida, and people looked at me with a blank stare. So I'm curious if you know, um, you know who the musician from Canada, Cake, is, Mike? Yeah, from the 90s, right? Yeah, and so yeah. he's got that song that I always get a kick out of. It's a, um, about the sheep and the goats. Have you ever yeah, heard? yeah. And sheep go to heaven, and goats, goats go to hell. Go yeah. to hell. Yeah. Um, so I referenced that, and they just kind of looked at me like, like I was crazy. So. Um, cake, what was there? So soul coughing, cake, there's a couple other ones that were all kind of obscure, but yeah. one of their couple of songs would make it into the mainstream. Yeah. And so I, I have all the, I think pretty much all the cake albums from that era. I was a cake fan and, um, but it's a funny song because it's treating, it's a lighthearted song about the sheep and the goats. And that's not how Jesus intended it, right? The sheep mm-hmm. and the goats. It's actually kind of terrifying. It's about the the last judgment. But this one is interesting to me because especially when I was leaving Catholicism, 
Um, and I talked to priests when I was leaving Catholicism, and I still have a catechism from a priest who gave me a Catholic catechism um, to encourage me to read it, uh, you know, kind of warned me against leaving. And a really nice way, I mean, the guy was super, he's what you would want in clergy. He believed his confession was right, um, and he was very sincere with dealing with me. I had been at a, I was kind of at a retreat center where we used to go to play basketball sometimes, and he kind of pulled me aside, and we kind of went and we talked in his office, and because my buddy who couldn't keep his mouth shut is like, Wade's taking classes to become a Lutheran, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, so kind of ratted on me. And uh, Whistleblower? Yeah, he was a whistleblower. And uh, But this is a passage that would come up in that context. If you ever listen to Catholic radio or Catholic apologists, this passage will come up a lot. And so you have the sheep and the goats, and basically you have the sheep and the goats, and Jesus says to the sheep, you're going to heaven, why, Mike? Because you did good things. Yeah, that's what it sounds like, right? And he says to the goats, you know, sorry guys, but you're going to hell because you've done bad things. And this is not the only place in scripture where it kind yeah. of implies Yeah, and not only have you done bad things, but you've not done good things. Good things. And you read that and you go, well, that sure sounds like we're saved by works or the, wor- the works we do or do not do. And one of the things that's been helpful uh, for me, especially at that point, and I remember um, the pastor who took me through um, adult instruction to become a Lutheran talked to me about it is the importance of the structure of this trial. So the sheep and the goats are separated, then the verdict is given, and then kind of their works are mentioned. Um, so the sheep and the goats are separated. Jesus says, hey, sheep, you're going to heaven. And he says, because you did all these things for me. And he says things like, you know, you've, um, well, let me uh, read it. He says, um, begin with 34 there, verse 34. Come, you who are blessed, um, by my Father, or blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, here's doctrine of election, right? right? But we don't always think about that. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Um, and there you maybe expect the sheep to be thinking, whew, we did the right things. Really glad we chose to do those. But they say, um, then the righteous, and notice that term, the righteous, right? We Lutherans understand how we get righteous. Um, will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So what they had seen was their neighbor. They didn't necessarily consciously see Christ, right? And this is important. Well, how did they get to the point um, that they could see their neighbor in that way? And then he will say to those on his left, and this is when I preach, I I was kind of like to have fun with (laughs) the goats on the left side and sheep on the right. Although um, I'm often on the left side of chapel. I don't know what that that means. but Oh, with the science people? (laughs) No, the science people are on the right side when you're preaching. No, if I'm preaching. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, it's when you're looking at it. Which makes sense because... Yeah, you always tease them about that. I don't even know. Sometimes they go over there just to see if they're actually praying. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But then he said to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And that's important too. He said to the the sheep, into the, you know, the, the wonderful stuff prepared for you, but here the fire um, prepared for the devil and his angels, and I, here we see a difference between Calvinism and Lutheranism, right? Um, for I was hungry and you gave me no food, I was thirsty, and so on and so on. And then uh, they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Um, and then he says, whatever you didn't do for the least of these you did for me. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and so... I think it's instructive there to look at the order of the trial because it seems like that would, the story would, or account would seem to contradict um, salvation by grace through faith. But if you look at it, it actually doesn't. What is given first is the verdict, right? There is the declaration, you are either a sheep or a goat. And then as a sheep or a goat, um, there is now fruits of your faith or not fruits of your faith. And I, I misled you earlier, Mike, by accident. I meant to say, what did they not do? And I said, what did they do? And you said, bad things. And surely they did bad things. Um, but it's precisely what they didn't do that Jesus is going to point out. And uh, and it's that they didn't do it for him, mm-hmm. right? Uh, 
And, and so the difference we see there is, I think, very vocational and relates to Christian freedom, that um, those who are declared righteous, the sheep, those who believe, um, their, their every work is done for Christ when they do a good work, right? That this is done, um, but Christ doesn't need the good work. And I get more and more leery now of like, um, everything I do, I do for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, that is true. But if it's not understood correctly, it can be not very biblical or Lutheran. Um, Everything you do, you do for your neighbor, Mm -hmm. which means it's also done for Jesus, right? But but when we we take the step always straight to I do it for Jesus, we sometimes miss neighbor. And then the the work itself can almost become a means to an end, right? I'm just doing this to to do it for Jesus. And we we miss that God works through means and how we serve others. And a couple of things to that point, and then I'll let you go. Uh, no, you well, jump in here with yeah, wherever you want to go because yeah, I've so, said what I want to yeah, say. Yeah, I thought a lot about this in the connection of vocation. So um, the first thing to think about is notice that they don't think they're working for Jesus, right? Right. They're, they're, they're just doing it because they are righteous. This is who they have been made And they can to be do. so focused on it that and it doesn't do. have to be like <clears throat> every, every second they, yep. they're seeing Jesus' face. And so you, you may think of it as a parent when your, your children are out, let's say you're watching them in the backyard and they're like six and seven and 10 minutes ago they were, you know, like beating each other and choking each other. And you weren't like, other. Jesus, stop beating right. your brother. <laughs> and, then, and then they go out, play, and then you see them play. Well, maybe you did say that, but it was a sin against <laughs> the second commandment. You see them play and they're being nice to each other and cordial to each other and maybe even thoughtful with each other. And that's when... For you as the parent, that's when you have, that's the glory of the parent. Precisely when they were getting along without, without them knowing that you even noticed it. Um, <clears throat> because that's who they have become. They've become decent human beings because you, you know, in, in, a, in a roundabout way, because that's what you, you have raised them to be. Obviously, sinners Still, we know that. But you, you get the drift. Now, if they were doing that out there... By the way, Mike is doing a lot of pointing, so he really does I am sincerely really, believe I am these really things he's saying. Now, if they're out there, and little Johnny helps Sally with whatever, and then looks up at you and say, did you see that? I did it, right? Then that would, that would mitigate the pride. You would say, that's not Johnny who Johnny is. He's only doing that to earn my favor. Right. So You're making it really hard for me not to make little John jokes by making, <laughs> by naming him little Johnny, by the way. And then, um, and the other thing to think about too is, I too get really leery and annoyed with glory of God, glory of God, glory of God. Everything's the glory of God. Everything, you know, I sneeze and that's to the glory of God. I play my football to the glory of God, and I okay, that shorthand for I love my neighbor. <laughs> Right. That's what it means. It's shorthand for this is who God is. I'm dying to myself to live for somebody else because God could give a flying flip about your deeds in heaven. He doesn't need them, and right. he doesn't want them. He doesn't want them. It's em. kind of like the Lord's Prayer with the Catechism. Like God doesn't need us for his name to be hallowed. No. no. And it would be ridiculous to think that he does. That would make him a narcissistic and very weak God who needs. And, and again, put yourself in the. Uh, the the parent-child relationship. You know, the parent needs the child to be successful and be a good person for their own pride. That is a terrible relationship that you have had, right? And if you live under that burden, I got to do this in order to please the, to live up to the family name or please uh, my, my over, my overbearing father or accomplish what I never got to accomplish. Yeah. That's such a, that's such a bad relationship of, of father child. It's certainly not the relationship that you see in scripture. Here, there was, so. I was reading a novel, um, when I was going to Florida and the, the guy in there talked about, sorry to interrupt, but I think it's pertinent that like a lot of times humans will reproduce so they can relive their youth mm-hmm. and then they'll have grandkids and they relive their youth through their grandkids. And I, it made me think that there is something to that of like how we can, sometimes misuse our yep. children and grandchildren yep. to use them to like remember and relive what we view as being a, a happier day as opposed to seeing them for who they are and yeah. loving them in that way. And that's my final point that, that I was going to bring up is when you look at somebody and say, I did that good action to you for the sake of my own virtue, I have used that person. And if you use a person, 
you are treating them like a thing, which means you have misused them. And I would go so far as to say that you have abused them or at least abused the situation. So I may help a little old lady across the street, um, but in my own twisted way, I may have abused them. And now we're into theology of cross where that, that thing through the lens of glory that looks so nice, this good work that I polish and put on my mantle, if it works against my righteousness by faith and I start to put myself into uh, the system of righteousness by law and if I have not loved my neighbor but have used them for my own righteous gain, that seemingly good thing is actually pure evil, right? And so uh, through the lens of glory, I get mixed up, right? And I should see it through the lens of cross that that's just Christ there. Um, not even, I'm just doing this because this is who I am. I die and I live for a, somebody else. And this is the spiritual battle that, that always has neighbor in mind. And so Gustav Wingreen had a nice way of saying this, that, um, and I'm paraphrasing him, but I, I got this idea from him that, um, this death and resurrection thing, let's, let's call it spiritual battle. It always has, it's always in the, in the context of vocation. It's in neighbor. I'm not cloistered away with these demons trying to overcome them so that I can be pure. My dying and rising always has, has, has a neighbor component to it, right? So I die to myself and I live for my children in how many different ways, right? And that's my spiritual battle. And when I get angry at them and maybe even resentful towards, towards my situation as father towards them, that's the wrong, you know, that's, I'm getting close to despair, right? But then when the saint does what's good, just because I love my children, <clears throat> um, that is, you know, a death and resurrection, that continual baptism action. So um, I think it's really good to be surprised on the last day when Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant, you served me. And you're like, yeah, I didn't at all. Like, like, uh, no, I didn't. Right. Um, and to be surprised. And I wonder if that's also connected to what we've been talking about in chapel this week is the first will be last and the last will be first. Like, by the way, Mike and I flipped chapel. <coughs> I was supposed to have Monday and he uh, took my Monday cause I was in Florida and then I got Friday and apparently Greg Lyon, who was on the last episode, said his student workers got it's a big quite, kick out of quite that. delight uh, that the first would be last and the last Although that doesn't first. make me, I mean, I got demoted then, right? The first, I was the first and I became last. Yeah. So you got promoted. But if you listen to my chapel on Monday, you weren't there. But you know that either way, it's good for us because God will make us last to make us first. So we're both good. We're well, that's fine. That's good. Um, Not ontologically good. Yeah. But the idea of, you know, don't put yourself into the front of the, the banquet hall, right? You'll be embarrassed when the, when the host says you're in the back, but rather put yourself in the back so that you'll be made first. And I made a big deal about like, well, we better work on our humility right now, but that's not the point. The point is God through suffering and law is going to make you the last and then he's going to make you the first. And so, uh, you know, sometimes we've been beaten down and we're, you know, we are made humble, not because we are such of a high character, but because, you know what, we failed quite a bit and God reminded us that we failed to the point where on the last day we get there and be like, ugh, and Jesus can be like, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, you were righteous and come to the front of the table kind of thing. I wonder if there's a connection there a little bit or if we can apply that parable as well. But it, it'll be a delight to be surprised. You know, we're not going to be surprised because we have this, but you could see the the, the idea of surprise that we didn't deserve this, but we got it anyway. And uh, yeah, the giftedness of it. Yeah. And yeah. salvation is gift. And so maybe if that can take us into the, the parable of the, the tenants, um, excuse me, <coughs> of the talents, I mean, and, uh, and so the parable of the talents, it's, it's not too long. Maybe you can uh, read it. You want to go ahead. All right. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and, his, uh, and hid his master's money. 
Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, And this is important, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. And that's a question mark, so that's not um, the master affirming that, but saying, oh, this is something you, you thought you knew. <clears throat> then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And uh, maybe, Mike, before I talk a bunch about this, I'll throw it to you first. What, what stands out to you as of importance, of importance with this? And, I, uh, you know, vocation is one of your main areas you work in. Um, and a lot of what involves a lot of what you teach at the college, so I'm guessing you'll have plenty to run with in here. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you first read this, you go, you, I just think, after reading this in church, you say the gospel of the Lord, right? <laughs> like, that's always a harsh one. They will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The gospel of the Lord, praise be to Christ. Um, it, it is a hard one to, to, to grapple with. Um, I, I do think that, you know, just the obvious one that work matters right and that um it's a good thing i think also um uh, the idea that uh, we shouldn't we shouldn't look at our life with a negative theology of glory which would be look how tough i have it and i suffer uh sort of sort of kind of this victimhood thing that we got right and I don't mean, I, when I say we're playing the victim, I don't mean this from a conservative point of view, talking to a liberal. I mean everybody's playing a victim right here. Christians are so martyred and all this kind of stuff. And, and uh, you know, the, uh, this, this, this group is out against Christians and stuff like that. There's real martyrs out there, right? Um, uh, so that kind of negative theology of glory is something that comes to mind uh, as well. I don't know. I'd have to think a little bit deeper about the talents and vocation. Uh, I'm sure there's maybe some insights in there that I that that I am uh, I am missing. Um, so maybe I'll just give it back to you and see what you were because you this is your idea. You might yeah. Say. Well, I think the interesting thing here, and um, so I I brought this up in my presentation, and a lot of the presentation. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> dealt with um freedom versus fear and um and it so it um ben kurth preached a really good sermon and the sermon was on first corinthians where um paul says you know he's talking about some of you say you follow cephas some follow Paulo, some paul what do i care what you think of me and he was getting at how paul had been freed from having to be bound up in others expectations or judgments but he did a really good job unpacking and I, I think it's very helpful that uh, he applied it in a way of basically the one with no talents the, or with the one talent is the one who has a, a ministry, and he's speaking to pastors when he was preaching, a ministry of fear. And the first two who had different abilities and different numbers of talents, and you could even think there of different abilities and they're in different settings, um, they had a ministry of freedom, right? They could go gamble. Maybe they would have lost the talents, but at least they would have <clears throat> put them to use, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think this fear versus freedom thing is a big thing that plays into this. And it's not something that's confined to ministry. I think it's for the Christian life in general. Is uh, 
The gospel and Christian freedom sets us free to venture all for Christ um, and to not be paralyzed. This is something you see Luther oftentimes writing to colleagues or friends who were paralyzed by the prospect of maybe doing the wrong thing or doing the right thing in the wrong way or so afraid of sinning that they weren't living life. Uh, with Melanchthon, this comes up sometimes. Um, and this is, by the way, what Luther meant by sin boldly. He didn't mean literally go try to figure out how you can sin and, and sin away. He meant if you're afraid you're going to sin no matter what you do, well then, you know, venture all for Christ. And, and don't worry about trying to justify, you know, I tried really hard or whatever. Just be like, this right. is what it is. This and I mean, I think I it would have been interesting if Jesus had included someone in this parable who was given three talents and <clears throat> lost them, mm-hmm. right? But he at least tried something. And I think it gets at what Christian freedom is. Um, what is it that the man who has the one talent says? He says, I know you're a hard man, right? And I know you reap where you did not sow, um, which I think gets at as if there's any gifts or abilities, accomplishments we have that are not from God. Um, They actually are. But when God replies, or the master here, um, he says, so you knew I reap where I do not sow, whatever else. Um, But notice that he doesn't say, um, you know that I'm a hard man. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, the master is not a hard man. He's a loving and forgiving father. Christ is a loving and forgiving savior. But I think it gets at something that Luther said a lot of different ways, but basically it boils down to you have the God you see. If you look at the crucifix and um, like, a, like a medieval Catholic and you see an angry, wrathful God out to get you, you're going to live like you have an angry, wrathful God out to get you. If you look at the crucifix, um, as Luther would have us look at it, and you see a God who loves you so much that he ventured all, he gave his very self to save you, um, you are going to live like you have a merciful God who gave his very self for you, and you're going to want to be a self-giving person as well. And I think that gets it. Um, So there are ideas of rewards in here, right, that... You've done well with this. You'll have more over you. But notice that the rewards are what what people did with gifts that they already had. Um, It's just more gift, right? You did this thing with this thing I gifted you. Um, Here, enter into my joy. Be be gifted as you already were. And I think that's a helpful reminder for Christians. Um, The Christian life as we see it in the world inevitably becomes a, a life of fear or a life of freedom. Um, a life of, I better come up with some rules so I make sure that I don't sin and God doesn't get mad at me. Um, and we're very good at making up extra rules. Or a ministry of, I'm going to do this thing because it's best for my neighbor. And I don't know that I can do it perfectly. I mean, think of just even entering into to marriage and having a family. If anyone's realistic about what they're entering into, they know there's no way they're going to get through marriage and having a family without sinning. Right? There's going to be some real hardship that's brought upon upon them, but also that they bring upon others. But that's something that you venture in Christ because you also know you're going to get to share in your Heavenly Father's joy. You're going to get to serve. And the same can be with work, as you mentioned. Um, but uh, I think the, the notion of freedom that comes out in this, those first two servants saw those talents as gift and... Um, were confident enough in their relationship to their master that they were willing to gamble them, so to speak. Um, and I think that's a, a very important point. And it's the sheep and the goats come right on the heels of this, right right after this. Um, and I think it makes sense, uh, the order that we have there. I'm glad you said that because when you first look at this in the concept of work, you know, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness. You know, well, why, Right. Um, was it because he was lazy? Was it because he was, you know, insulted God by calling him a heart? You know, it's really because he didn't have faith, right? He didn't trust. He didn't take God at his word. He didn't, he didn't take things and, as and gift. So both parables, be, or the sheep and the goats and this parable become about faith, yeah. yeah. He's, not, t- he's not, <coughs> not taking God at his word, not trusting that God would give him everything he needed. And so you mentioned that, that Luther phrase, um, venture all things, right? You and I use that all the time. In freedom, especially in, in the context of vocation, you are able to venture all things. And so sometimes Luther gets criticized for saying, 
when it comes to vocation, you stay in your vocation. So if you're a servant, you stay in your servant. If you're a, a master, you stay as a master and kind of a, a, a First Corinthians 7 type thing. But Saint, uh, Luther, nor is St. Paul like talking against social mobility or anything like that. In fact, we see throughout Luther and Paul this idea about freedom. And so in the context of vocation, in the context of business, in the context of, like you mentioned, the church, you know, you, it's not like you, this is the only grace you get. Like, I have this gift, this grace, I better not lose it. Um, and I, and I, which is how some people have viewed baptism that my slate's clean. I better keep it that way. Right. Right. Um, or just money in general, right? Like I'm holding on to money. I'm holding on to my gift. I'm holding on to God's love. Don't let it go. You can raise your children that way. I'm holding on to my kids. I'm not going to let any risk happen to them. Or even, you know, the, it's a biblical thing to say, hold on to your faith, hold on to the message, hold on. You could say that, but if you mean it, hold on to like, if you let go, it's all ring. If you let go, it's all lost. That that makes God like, I gave you one gift, like like a father at you know, like here's and the then deal. I waited for you to mess up. There's here here is the one gift you're getting. Do not mess up. Do not come back to me asking for more. It's not really a gracious God. It's a it's a business obligation sort of relationship with God. Uh, so I think that's part of it. And then it f- does flow into vocation, doesn't it? Right. And the freedom that you talked about. I am willing to venture all things. I, You know what? I'm going to try to be an artist. And if I fail, I know God's going to put me in a different position where I can I can still serve him and hopefully provide for my family. Now, within, within you know, reasonable logic, <laughs> right? You know, probably have to have a side job if you want to try to be an uh, artist. But it's kind of things like that where uh, you are able to actually take risks, like you said, and gamble a little bit. Because you know you're not throwing your whole eternity away and i and i imagine that somebody who does not have that free who does not trust in god let's say a person who doesn't believe that in god or doesn't believe that god's active in their life or whatever doesn't believe in the afterlife you got about 80 90 years there's no freedom there because you got to make every second count you cannot take a risk at 25 but if you know you have all eternity you know that it's grace upon grace you are actually able to be freer in that. And we've talked about this a lot, when, especially for students. When you're not so bogged down about this is everything, you're free, you actually end up being more productive. Yep. Um, because you're not so tense all the time. Well, and I think a couple things in there too. Um, there can be lots of times where we really want to love our neighbor, but we're afraid that we're not sure we can love our neighbor in a clean way like what? Well, what if it seems like I'm supporting them in their sin? Or what if it seems like I'm, um, you know, not hard enough on them? Or whatever, you know, the situation might be. It sets us free to to be like the Good Samaritan who says, here's a guy in a ditch who's been beaten up. Uh, I'm going to care for him. Now, he doesn't know who this guy is. What if this guy's Hitler? And it turns out, like, he just healed Hitler, you know, which would be a, probably a pretty... Um, unpopular thing to do i don't know and uh uh but i think this can come into the christian life too even when we know we have a loving god i think a helpful thing to do um, when we examine ourselves isn't just to examine ourselves according to the ten commandments but to ask ourselves uh why am i living like i'm living or as a pastor why am i serving Am I largely serving so that people won't get mad at me, so people won't think that I'm unorthodox, so people won't think that I'm unfaithful, or am I serving because God has given me these talents, um, he's given me this opportunity, this gift, and I can venture all? What if you put a ton of time into that person who doesn't join the church? Well, oh well. Um, what if you put a, a ton of time into that person who does join the church but never quite fully kicks whatever the the habit is that they struggle with. Well, oh well. Um, to to be able to venture all into love and in our Christian life too. What if you mess up as a parent? Well, I hate to break it to you. You're going to mess up as everyone messes up as a parent. There's no perfect way to parent. Um, <clears throat> with our students, you know, you deal with a variety of students. If you're dealing with your students from a, a position of fear, you're not going to be putting their best interest first. You're put, you're inevitably putting your best interest first, and I think it takes us off our our neighbor focus. <clears throat> and uh, 
you yeah, also I can think about evangelism like I have one I have I have one thing to say in this evangelism opportunity and if not this person's going to hell right then you know you're going to blow it if you think right. like that way yeah and uh and so I think it does um get at and this maybe gets to some of the Luther Karlstadt we talk stuff we talked about in the winging it session we recorded uh recently is uh it's an unrealistic way to live in a fallen world to live in fear <clears throat> because it, it's based upon this illusion that you can somehow hedge yourself off um, from everything that will, would lead you to maybe mess up <clears throat> or get a little bit dirty. And I think if you look at Jesus' own ministry, I mean, he's always getting dirty. He's touching the unclean. He's... Um, He's hanging out with the sinners. Now that doesn't mean he's sinning himself, right? <clears throat> but uh, but he's he's willing to kind of venture all things for people. And well, what if it hurts his reputation? Well, you read the Gospels, and Jesus does a number of things that hurt his reputation, right? It's like Jesus did this, and then they, you know, conspired to kill him. It's not like the reaction was always, uh, man, Jesus is the best, you know. Like mm-hmm. we, uh, you know, we're so lucky to be around him. And so I think uh, you look at this chapter or the end of Matthew and we think last judgment, we think end, end times. And even as Christians, we can get afraid, we can get nervous. Um, and I think there's a temptation as we, we kind of did a free-for-all that matches well of what story most disturbs you. Um, we can see whole churches even paralyzed in a sense by fear and becoming entirely reactive. Uh, and in so doing, really... What does the Father say? Enter into my joy. Um, we we can lose that joy that ought to come with the gospel. Uh, we can forget that we have a Christ who was crucified for sinners, and that means us. And uh, and so I think it's interesting that both these accounts could be read incorrectly and really be taken, as I said earlier, as a sort of Catholic apologetic for work righteousness, right? Um, that we're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, well, what's the bottom line? What did you make for me? Mm-hmm. When it's really, the first two, you trusted me mm-hmm. enough. The first one trades his, uh, you know, he, he trades with people and then increases it. Um, and I think with that, you see, he goes out into society and he interacts. Um, the second one, I think. So it's, just, not, it's not pro-capitalism? I don't think so necessarily. Okay. Yeah. And the second, it just says he made two talents. I don't think we're told how. But it's that attitude of the, the last one was so afraid of an angry God um, that he was unable to do anything. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, if you look at the, the healthiest ages in church history, it, it really tends to be when, in many ways, they threw caution to the wind, whether it be the early Christian martyrs, whether it be the Reformation, whether it be the, the people who came to America and founded churches against all odds. Um, and they were, they were willing um, to maybe be reviled, to by their own community or by others. Uh, they were willing to mess up. They were willing to maybe have things not go their way. Um, and in the end, uh, right, God sees those talents then increasing, being put to a good use. I mean, even this passage, how often does it get used in the context of stewardship, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because it says talents also, which isn't meaning like my talents, like I'm really good at soccer or mm-hmm. something. You're not, but... Right, but you know what I mean. Um, it's rather just their life. What what was, and I think even the gift, according to their ability, in their situation with their, with their gifts, this is this is what they did. Um, you know, the the person living in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, is going to have different opportunities than the person in New York City, than the person living in the middle of an Iowa cornfield. Um, but that attitude of recognizing you have a loving and merciful God. And I just think with that parable, what stands out the most is that I knew you are a hard man. Mm-hmm. I knew you are a hard man. And if you look at pretty much all the other religions of the world, well, what are they? Isn't that what they kind of say? I knew you were a hard man's soul. Mm-hmm. And this kind of says, uh, "Hey, guess what? Like you gave me that stuff, and I, uh, you know, went and I gambled, and and I won some, and and here you go, you know, and that enter into my joy." Um, I think becomes important, and we see that with the sheep and the goats. Then, where the where the sheep even realize, like, they, or they say, "When do we do it for you?" 
it wasn't that they were paralyzed or that they were knew God was keeping score. It was just they saw the things, they ventured, and they served, and, and God rejoices in that. Yeah, and I think I, I, as a pastor um, for, you know, when I was in the parish, um, I would think about that a lot. Like, should I, should I just totally forgive this person and give them the benefit of the doubt? Should I, should I work on church discipline or whatever? And a lot of times I would just say, you know what? And I would say this to people, too, in tough situations, too. I say, sometimes you follow your conscience and then you say, Lord, have mercy, and it's going to be all right. Right. Yep. I mean, sometimes you just go, and I think that's perhaps a little bit tangential to to the idea of Luther and, um, you know, sin boldly. Like, this is a tough situation. You know what? You know you're going to be forgiven on the other side, right? And that freedom kind of releases you from that uh, and What you're trying to do is a good thing. We're not talking about venturing, like, yeah. I'm going to go murder someone. Right, right. And, and, but you can see how many times people are paralyzed. <laughs> They're paralyzed by doubt. They're paralyzed by, does God really love me? Whether they put in those languages or not, they're paralyzed by the fear of failure. They're paralyzed by putting themselves out there because then they, they think that that's going to hurt their reputation, their value. But that's because you're in the system of, of a righteousness by law where you have to, you have to judge your value by your actions instead of seeing that. And so it really is a free thing that St. Paul's talking about as he developed these two kinds of righteousness, right? One by law, one by faith, one by faith leads to freedom. And and I think that that's why it's, it's good to read Romans first and then read the rest of um, St. Paul's letters. Maybe the, maybe they knew what they were talking about when they ordered all of those. And then, cause I see it, even in some of the letters that he wrote before Romans, maybe right. a little bit that he's, he's, he understands this, that this leads to freedom. This leads to fear. And, and in our modern way, being paralyzed emotionally or being paralyzed and being tense and not being to put it in a sports analogy, not being in the zone, right? right? You're not grinding things out necessarily. If you ever played a sport, you know you play differently if you're playing not to mess up yeah. or if you're playing to accomplish something. And and this comes to this this elusive thing called confidence, right? I mean, sometimes I get a little annoyed with always talking about confidence. But you know, since we have been speaking publicly for two decades almost, that there comes to a point where you are confident enough and that affects how you speak, right? You're not tense. You're not, you're not paralyzed by that. Well, where did that come from? Some of it came from practice. Some of it came from, I can do this, but also some of it came from, I screwed up and the world didn't end and I'm still here and I'm free to mess up. Like my world is not going to come collapsing if I get up in chapel next week and, you know, stumble over my words because I've done it a gazillion times and I know people still like And even the sports and business world recognizes that. I mean, the people who have really made it will say, um, I did not be afraid to fail. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, maybe just to hit on that point, you know, there is a, uh, an instance in the gospels where Jesus comes upon a physically paralyzed man. um, And I think his treatment of that paralysis is the same as his treatment for spiritual paralysis is a, before he says to that man, get up, take your bed, and go, he says, I forgive you, right? He absolves him. And I think it's that absolution um, that sets us free to use our talents um, according to our abilities and our situations as best we can, and to be confident um, that when we do so in Christ, we're doing it uh, for Christ, not uh, directly, but through the person of our neighbor. And then, uh, I mean, that's really the essence, I would say, of uh, letting the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down Get with my party and I begin to cry I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink I set them up, another round I set them up, another round I set them up, another round One more round won't get me down I said, honey, honey, I don't care what